Greetings, everybody. My name is Curtis DeBerg, and I am so happy to be bringing you my very first podcast. And I am today here in Andai, France, where I recently moved here from Paris after I had taken a sabbatical to Paris two years ago to, uh, to learn more about how to do digital videos for my classroom. Uh, I was a university professor in California. But after my one year of sabbatical, COVID hit, and I decided to retire at age 64. I'm now 65 years old, and I'm finishing my second book about Ernest Hemingway. And the name of the book, uh, at least the working title, is called Hemingway, New Perspectives, New, Mo uh, New Inspiration. And the purpose of this podcast uh, will be first to kind of give you a setting where Hemingway lived and wrote and give you a sense of where I am and why I'm doing this. And then in the second half of each podcast, I'll just read you uh, a passage from the book. Now, today, since I'm in Andai, I thought I would begin with uh, talking about when Ernest Hemingway first came to Andai and what he was doing at the time. And I'll read a few quotes of his from letters that he had written from Andai to various friends. So I'm just going to pause just a second and see if I can go to the uh, uh, video uh, of Mary Chapin Carpenter singing Mrs. Hemingway. And this was a tribute song to Hadley Hemingway that Mary Chapin Carpenter performed uh, first, I believe it, was, believe it was in 2010. So as background music, here we go with Mary Chapin Carpenter, and I hope that's loud enough, and uh, but yet unobtrusive, uh, so that you can hear me clearly. So, let's talk about Ernest's time in Hemingway, or the in Andai, his very first time. And so, um, it was August 3rd in 1925 when Hemingway wrote Sylvia Beach. And he was in Valencia, Spain at the time, and he said, I've written six chapters on a novel, and I'm going great. About 15,000 words done already. So you can see how exuberant he was, and he was excited that he was well on his way to his first novel. Well, then on August 10, he wrote a letter uh, from Andai, and uh, he... And Hadley had just arrived from Paris. And then on August 13, Ernest wrote to Morley Callahan. And get a load of how his, uh, his prose again jumps right off the page here in his letters. He says, have been in Spain for six weeks with the bullfighters. I have 40,000 words done on a novel and staying here to finish it. It ought to be damn good. Have another book of short stories about finished and my bullfight book coming out in Germany. Wrote 4,000 words a day and tired as hell tonight. So that was after he had first arrived here in Andai. Two days later, he wrote his World War I ambulance driver friend, Howie Jenkins, uh, from Andai. And he was staying then at the Grand Emots here. And uh, Howie Jenkins' nickname was Carper. And Ernest says, Dear old Carper, it was sure tough luck that you didn't make the gradient. And he talks a little bit about 
uh, how he's been in Spain. He's seen 21 bullfights. And now he says he's up to 45,000 words done in the last month and going well. Hadley's gone up to Paris and I'll join her there in a week. It's a wonderful sand beach here and swell swimming. Nice mountains and good food. 30 francs a day and a damn good hotel for everything. So, um, again, his letters are amazing. It really gives you an inside perspective of what Hemingway was thinking and how exciting, how excited he was to be on the path to working well on his first novel, which we all know, we all know became The Sun Also Rises. On August 17, he sent a postcard from Andai, and uh, it was a picture of himself on the beach, and he had said, have done 48,000 words on the novel. It's swell novel, he reported. It will be suppressed the day they publish it, but it's going to be a damn good one. It's about Paris and Spain. Well, that's uh, that was Ernest's first trip. He spent about a week here and he was so enamored by it that he returned in 1927, shortly after marrying Pauline. He came back in 29. Again, he came back in 31 and this time he brought Bumby with him and he took Bumby to the bullfights in Pamplona, which is only one hour away from Andai by train. And then he returned for the last time in 1933. So uh, I hope that gives you a little uh, taste of what Ernest was thinking and how he was feeling on his first trip here to uh, the southwest corner on the Sea of Biscay on the Atlantic Ocean. Now, let me revert to my book for a moment. The book, as I mentioned, is called Hemingway, New Perspectives, New Inspiration. And uh, I've written a little piece that really serves as the synopsis for, uh, for this. And let me um, find the synopsis here. And here we go. When you thought nothing more could be said or written about Ernest Hemingway, along comes a book that's hard to put down. I hope this book will take you, the reader, and you, the podcast listener, on a literal and figurative journey around the globe in Ernest Hemingway's footsteps. Along the way, I hope to shed some light on the Nobel Prize winning author's literature and his personal life. I try to use a conversational style that can mix uh, sharp wit, I hope, and maybe an edginess sometimes that cuts like a World War I bayonet. Hemingway once told Scott Fitzgerald that a writer should embrace his own pain to become a better writer. Hemingway had to embrace his own pain when he survived two plane crashes in 1954, resulting in spinal damage, a separated shoulder, he had internal injuries to his kidney and his, his liver, and a very serious head fracture. After surviving a plane crash of my own in a small lightweight aircraft in the summer of 2016, I now know, I personally now knew what Hemingway meant about pain 
and having to embrace it if you're going to become a writer. I'm now living with permanent and very painful nerve damage to my left leg. I have a condition known as drop foot. Well, in my book, I've identified four of Hemingway's demons. And I don't mean demon in the sense of the devil and the deep meaning behind the word demon. I mean something that torments a person. And the four things that I've identified as tormenting, uh, tormenting Hemingway throughout his adult life were his parents, mainly his mother. All four of his wives to tormented him at one time or another, mainly when he was falling out of love with one and falling in love with another. And I go pretty deep into his relationship with not only Hadley, but also Pauline, and to a lesser extent, Martha and Mary. The third demon I look at in detail is pain. Pain from his innumerable accidents and illnesses. Finally, his fourth demon is anguish. And that anguish came from alcoholism, depression, uh, chronic traumatic uh, head injuries, what we call CTE, and early dementia. Ketchum, Idaho may be where Hemingway's life ends, but it's where Papa's myth and the legend begin. No other book will give you the chance to see Hemingway through the eyes of someone like me who struggled and struggling still to overcome his own demons. This book is one part biography, one part narrative nonfiction, and another part memoir. Of course, we started today in Ondai, but before long, I'm going to go back to the beginning to Oak Park, Illinois, and then we'll take you up to Michigan, up to Petoskey and, and uh, Walloon Lake, and uh, up to uh, northern Michigan. And then, what's, then it's off to Paris. And using Paris as the home base, you'll, you, the listener, and also Hemingway's ghost, I call him modern-day Hemingway, will make side trips to ski resorts in Switzerland and to Schroon's Austria. And we're going to go to the bull rings of Pamplona and Madrid, to the beaches of French Riviera. We're going to make two side trips to Hemingway's World War I wounding in Fasalta. And we're going to discover that Hemingway is not the real her hero of the Piave. Rather, two other men are the heroes. Fidele Temporini, the Italian soldier who died while likely protecting Hemingway from the mortar blast, and Lieutenant Edward M. McKee, a fellow American Red Cross volunteer who died by artillery fire, not far from where Hemingway was injured, just three weeks before Hemingway was injured on July 8. Our journey will continue to Harry's Bar in Venice. And it's here in Italy in 1948 where he fell in love with the 19-year-old countess, Adriana Ivancic. We're gonna to go to Murchison Falls in Uganda where Hemingway and his fourth wife, Mary, survived not one but two plane crashes. And on the first night where they spent the night in the jungle, they literally saw elephants and crocodiles up close. Well, we will too. We're gonna to spend several days after Africa and we're gonna to go to Hemingway's American West in Sheridan and Cody and Cook City. We're gonna to go to Key West to the Hemingway Lookalike uh, Festival, which begins on Ernest's birthday each year on July 21. 
And we're going to end our journey in Ketchum, fittingly, the place where Hemingway ended his own life. Throughout this podcast, I'm going to identify four main drivers that I think drove Hemingway's fiction. Most of the books written about Hemingway delve into the so-called wound theory about how the trauma uh, from World War I left Hemingway physically and psychologically traumatized. Well, no doubt the war had a huge effect on him and his career, but I offer four other factors that contributed to Hemingway's uh, uh, genius as a, as a writer. First, he had a hypomanic personality, meaning he had a hard time sleeping. And when he was high, he was really up. But when he was low, he was really low. And uh, he was almost bipolar in that respect. So the hypomanic personality. Secondly, was the fear that the real story at Fasalta would come out, that he wasn't really a hero, but instead he may have been a young kid just looking for trouble and trouble found him uh, when the mortar blast exploded next to him in the front line trench right next to the Piave River. The third driver of this fiction, I think, was literary rivals and the rivalry with Lieutenant McKee. Remember, McKee was the man who died three weeks before Hemingway, and Hemingway uh, was probably a little bit uh, challenged by McKee because McKee died as an ambulance driver uh, come uh, uh, canteen worker. And Hemingway also said the only heroes, the only heroes are the ones who die. And McKee and Temperini were both heroes. The last driver is remorse. And he had great remorse for how he treated Hadley, as we learned in the uh, book, A Movable Feast. But he had just as much remorse for Pauline, which the book about Pauline never did come out because by the time Ernest was ready to write it, he had all the electroconvulsive shock treatments at the Mayo Clinic, and he lost his uh, short-term memory, he lost his confidence, and uh, of course became very depressed and, and ended his life in Ketchum. In closing here, I want to take you to places that Hemingway lived, made love, wrote great fiction, and ultimately died. This podcast, I hope, will be an entertaining, provocative, and even sometimes troubling read and journey. But my goal is to offer a new perspective on what drove Hemingway to literary superstardom. I want to take you, the listener, Maybe you're a Hemingway fan, or maybe you're not a fan. You're maybe a wary critic. Either way, I want to take you on an unforgettable, informative, and rollicking ride. Put on your seatbelts, because here we go. Enjoy.